Welcome everyone to Tamrail Adventures, a show that brings you information from all across the far reaches of Tamrail. I am your host, Eric, aka Silior, and this one is the Kajiti Merchant. And I would like to wish everyone a happy new year. This episode is coming out on New Year's Eve. And hope you had a fantastic Christmas, happy holidays, whatever you celebrate, Hanukkah, you know, what have you. Yes, this one would also like to echo their sentiments. Happy holidays, happy Kwanzaa, whatever you celebrate. This one wishes everyone the best of holidays. So today we are going to be talking about Namira, and I think I mentioned on the last episode that I honestly didn't really remember a lot about Namira. Like I remember the name, and I remembered like Rot Decay, but that was everything that I remembered about Namira. So we are going to be digging into Namira today, but we do have a little bit of news. Not a lot. Um, honestly, I think everybody was just kind of taking the you know last couple of weeks off. But there is a little bit. So uh, right now, the New Life Festival event is going on in ESO. There's actually an article on the Bethesda.net website on what to do this time of year in ESO. There's five different things that they suggest to do and one of them is the new life event but um we can take a look at the other things that there's going on so the first thing they say is bake a festive treat so there's some different things that they suggest that you can make that are a little bit more festive so there's also show off your holiday fashion sense so of course with the new life festival there's different style motifs that go on and then there's also decorate your holiday home they've got trees they've got snowmen they've got rugs things that you can decorate your home with there is giving a gift to someone special from the crown store Um, you can actually gift things in there so that's a nice thing to do for someone that you're friends with in the game and then they suggest the new life festival itself so i will be talking about that here in a few minutes so yeah i hope everybody has been taking advantage of that um it's definitely been fun so what else we got in the news here so there is an article on um the eso christmas carol done by the vanquish guild so i mentioned in the last episode the christmas carol that uh, ken from the fallout 76 chad fallout 76 podcast put on with a bunch of different voice actors from the fallout and elder scrolls community and that was amazing um definitely definitely check that out it is uh available in audio form on their podcast feed but if you can still find it on twitch go to their twitch page uh, chad fallout 76 podcast it is definitely worth watching uh, just to see Wes Johnson really get into the role because he kind of acted out what he was doing. Like he would point around his facial expressions were fantastic. So, uh, but if you would like to, there is a uh, video on the Vanquish Guild in uh, performing a Christmas character, car- character, uh, Christmas Carol 
in ESO. And I guess they've done this for the last three years. This is the fourth time that they've put that on. Um, so go check that out too. Uh, give them some support. So um, next up is another article from Bethesda.net on uh, different. Uh, they do like monthly mod spotlights, and this one is for Skyrim. It is the Lucian Companion mod, and I actually just recently downloaded this because I saw some other people have it. Um, so, but it is a fully voiced character with a lot of different things. Um, he kind of levels up with you. Uh, but you find him like he also you can also take him on um, things like Moonpath to Elsewhere and Moon and Star uh, those mods. Uh, but I guess yeah, um, I did get him. Um, I played around with them a little bit, but not a ton. So I just recently got this mod myself. So yeah, definitely go check it out. I love mods that don't feel like mods like they they're so well done that they feel like they're actually a part of the base game like you would never know that they're mods they're that well done um speaking of which i've talked about the mod um the forgotten city quite a bit and that mod was so well received and supported that they actually made it into their own separate game but instead of being in Tamriel, they're in ancient Rome. And I found a video on YouTube that uh, talks about the making of that game. So, of course, all of these are going to be in the show notes. So, yeah, that mod was great. I've played it through a few times. And I actually, that game is on Game Pass now. So if you've got an xbox game pass subscription you can actually play that game for free so i definitely uh, recommend checking that out um speaking of youtube videos i did find a video recently on um the um, eso main quest line and whether or not it's still worth playing today and it's kind of interesting because it is an honest look at it just from like a bunch of different perspectives not just the story which is mainly what i care about like i'm such a sucker for lore that playing through walking around exploring cold harbor interacting with aliens which were thought to be long extinct and it turns out that the one that you're interacting with the king Lavorian dinar which i've talked about a few times on the show is the very last of the aliens and so but he looks at it from a bunch of different aspects like whether or not it's worth it from the rewards that you get from completing the quests whether or not the skill lines that you get um, like the uh, skills that you, like the skill lines and the, the um, actives and passives that you get with that is actually worth using, things like that. So, um, yeah, it's kind of an honest look at whether or not it's worth playing. And he says, from a few uh, different points of view, yes, and from others, no. Um, but I actually recently played through the main quest line and completed it recently i posted pictures of it on social media and i definitely think that it's something that everybody should do once at least um i've completed the main quest line in eso a couple of times now 
but there are plenty of people I know who've played this game for years that have never completed it. Um, and I do think it, like it, it has changed a little bit when, and he talks about this, when you first, when the game first launched, you started out in Cold Harbor, you're dead, um, but you don't actually see it happen. And the quest to get out of Cold Harbor is a tutorial. And now the tutorial has kind of changed, but and you can actually see yourself being sacrificed to Molag Ball and losing your soul. Your soul, you know, you're in Cold Harbor, you don't have your soul. And it's interesting, but um, though going through Cold Harbor and escaping Cold Harbor, you know, and actually seeing yourself become the vestige, that's still treated as a tutorial. And it is true that, you know, if you are going to be doing this other tutorial now and not have the tutorial in Cold Harbor, why is Cold Harbor still tr treated like a tutorial? Like, you're still like, you press this to attack, press this to block, press this to use your abilities. Why is it still treated like a tutorial? So it is true that if um, the tutorial is something else now, they need to revamp that part of the quest line and not treat it so much like a tutorial so there are parts of it that you know one you know i'm like you know what you make a good point um but I, again and he kind of said this too i do think that it's something that is worth experiencing at least once in your eso playthrough there's so much other stuff to experience now that it's kind of the main quest line you kind of forget about it but I do think that at least from, you know, experiencing Cold Harbor and everything and actually dealing with Molag Ball, like seeing a bunch of Daedric, not just Molag Ball, but um, some other Daedric princes in person is definitely worth experiencing. So um, there's that. Like I said, all of these, like I'm going to post the YouTube link in the show notes here so uh definitely definitely check it out so that is really it as far as the news goes um as far as what i've been playing i haven't been playing i have i have played a little bit of eso not a ton like i've done some of the um just some random quests and tried to get my level up to level 46 so i can do the alien ruins um quest because i'm really looking forward to doing that but i haven't been playing that as much i've been playing more eso like i said i was doing the new life uh, activities and there's a bunch of different things to do like there's dancing and different taverns and inns um, there's throwing mud at people which reminds me more of like witches festival stuff um but you're just trying to get people to laugh. Um, I'm sorry, not witches, fest jesters, uh, festival stuff, not witches uh, stuff. That's something different. Um, there's things where you can celebrate the old life, um, where you can like dive off of high uh, things into water, and of course the water's freezing. Uh, this is all in like 
parts of, uh, I think those quests were in parts of Skyrim. So, and then you go and rush as quickly as you can uh, to a bonfire before you freeze to death and warm up. Um, yeah, just little fun activities like that. And then you get New Life uh, Festival coffers with style motifs and things like that. It's all fun. Um, and then I was doing more of the Deadlands quest line. I still haven't finished that yet. Um, I bought a new house. Um, I can't remember exactly where it is, but it was over 300,000 gold. It was almost 400,000 gold. And it's actually not bad. It's got a couple of different levels to it, and it's got a small, like, outdoor area. So it's a pretty spacious house. Um, I don't know why I'm so obsessed with house collecting in ESO, because um, it doesn't really get you anything other than a free fast travel spot. But if you find a way shrine, you can fast travel to other discovered way shrines for free. Um, I don't think it used to be like that, but it definitely is now. So, yeah, just doing fun little things like that. Um, I did, have been playing some other things, too. Um, I played a little bit of Alice Madness Returns. I remember one of my old coworkers years ago, probably almost 10 years ago at this point, um, was completely obsessed with that game. Which, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing if you're obsessed with insanity. Um, <laughs> maybe that's a reflection on him. But I have heard other people say that it's a good game. So I figured I'd check it out for myself. And I have played a few hours of it. Um, another game that I've been playing that I've heard a lot of people uh, talk about is Hades. Um, the, both of these are on Game Pass, by the way. Alice Madness Returns and Hades. And Hades is actually really interesting. Um, and it's not something you need to play for a long period of time. Basically what you're trying to do is you're trying to escape the underworld. Uh, because you found out that you're uh, also related to the gods. Which of course you are if you're related to Hades. But um, you're also related to gods uh, that are in Olympus. So you're trying to escape... Hades, uh, the underworld, and get to Mount Olympus. And along the way, members of Mount Olympus are helping you by giving you different um, buffs and things like that um, to help you do better. Now, you are going to constantly die in this game. The neat thing is, is that you still gain experience and you can level stuff up so you do feel like you're progressing so next time you might make it a little farther and then you gain some other things and then you might make it a little farther than that and i have escaped the first section i can't remember what it's called um and i made it to another area that starts with an a that looks more like what you would picture hell to be like um, where there's like lava and things like that um so i have been progressing like you do feel like you are getting stronger even though you're constantly dying and the other interesting thing is things in hades courtyard do change like you do think feel like things happen while you're gone um, whether it's Achilles is missing for a little bit, or Nyx is missing for a little bit, or you know Cerberus is missing, uh, things like that. And you can also uh, give gifts to members of Hades' court. 
Um, so it is interesting. I've always been a fan of Greek mythology, so it's just really interesting to me. I also really want to play Immortal Phoenix Rising for the same reason, but I haven't played that yet. Um, I played a little bit more of Mass Effect Andromeda. Um, I will say, and I've mentioned this to um, N7 Lionheart, the uh, Element Zero podcast uh, host, that I find myself missing the characters from the original trilogy. Um, I do think that Mass Effect Andromeda is fun and the lore is interesting and the whole the story is interesting and there are things that i do like that they added to mass effect andromeda like being able to jump and the boost um like the thrust forward while you're running uh, that is really cool and i do like exploring andromeda but i find myself missing the characters from the original trilogy like Tally, Garrus, Liara, um, even Ashley. Like I killed off Caden in my first playthrough. Um, well, actually both, because um, I've beaten Mass Effect One a couple of times. But when I actually played through the whole trilogy, I stuck with that and I killed off Caden. Um, but I do find myself missing those characters from the original trilogy. Um, I do like characters from the the new. Uh, from Mass Effect Andromeda, like PB and Korra and uh, Drac. What's it? Darak? Or... I just recently met Jal, so I'm in that area of the game where you're dealing with members of his race. So, um, yeah, and then there's, of course, Fallout 76. I've definitely been playing that, and I'm almost to level, I'm just about to level 50 on the scoreboard. So I'm uh, chugging right along through that. Um, there was a quest, I think it was a couple of days ago, or it was either yesterday or two days ago, where it said pick up 50 wood. And I thought it meant, you know, a, you know, 50 pieces of wood scrap. No, you had to collect wood 50 times, <laughs> which was fucking ridiculous. Uh, it took a while. Uh, Picking up 50 pieces of wood scrap, that's not a big deal because some pieces, some um, spots where you do that can even have up to 10 pieces of wood. No, you had to pick up wood 50 individually, like 50 separate times, which was stupid. Uh, but, and that was a daily. If it were a weekly, I would understand, but that was a daily task. Um, but other than that, it's been fun. There's been the Jingle Scorched um, event going on until the 4th, which that's been fun i do like the jingle scorch i like the spooky scorch too but there's just something about hearing the jingle bells and the excitement that comes with that um so that's been fun uh, let's see i think there's something i've been playing wwe 2k20 again i've just been missing uh wrestling sim i am a wrestling fan of course so um I definitely I, like I picked that up again that was on that's been on sale for like 15 bucks so it's hard to turn down that and it saved my uh, character like my story progression from when I had it on the Xbox before I had it on PC for a while but there was always kind of a, a lag uh, not a huge lag but enough to be noticeable and um, 
I left off on the story right around the time of the money in the bank match uh, with your female character because you create a male and female character. I think it's the first time they did that. Usually you create a male character for the story, but this time they had two, male and female. And I, I love watching money in the bank matches. It's complete chaos. Um, I don't mind ladder matches where it's one-on-one or maybe even two-on-two, but I hate playing money in the bank matches for the same reason. Like, as soon as you go up the ladder, you've got everybody there to stop you. Every other person is either climbing up the ladder to stop you or tipping the ladder over, so you have to set up the damn thing all over again. But I was able to get through it. Uh, it took me several tries uh, where I was very close, but just fell short. And people were, not only are they knocking you off the ladder or knocking the ladder over itself, they're throwing you out of the ring every five seconds too, which is also frustrating. But um, yeah, I made it through. It, it, oh God, you sure heard me. I was cussing quite a bit. Um, but I think that's about it as far as what I've been playing. Oh, no. Um, I've also picked up Wolfenstein Old Blood again. Um, it's been probably almost a year since I played it, if not a year. But I've been got. I've gotten pretty far in the story. I want. I've I've got the trilogy. I've got Old Blood, uh, New Order, and New Colossus. I've played through New Colossus twice, but I've never played through. The uh, predecessor to that new order and I wanted to get through that but it, I'm kind of an OCD where it's like you play through the previous entries in it before you uh, play the subsequent ones the, the only one I didn't do that with is Witcher 3 although oh, that's another thing I picked up I found Witcher like with the new season of the Witcher um, all of the games are on sale and I've got two and three on the Xbox, but Witcher 1 was only available on PC, and I found that on sale. It's on sale for a buck fifty, so it's like, why the hell not? Um, but back to Wolfenstein. Uh, you know, I got really far in the story, um, but you get to one point where you're trying to meet up with somebody, and you're undercover going to try and steal this file from this party with a bunch of Nazis and next thing you know the entire town is zombies it's like what the f like there was an earthquake and then all of a sudden everybody's a zombie it's really bizarre um, like I've, zombies have always been in Wolfenstein but it's just like how did you shoehorn that in like why is everybody all of a sudden a zombie um yeah, just from an earthquake. It was really weird. Um, so yeah, I've, I've gotten past that part too, but um, I got to a point where there are some people that are actually alive, and they're trying to kill you instead of trying to kill the zombies or trying to kill them. I don't, I don't know. Uh, but I love Wolfenstein. I can't wait to get to New Order. Um, the storytelling in New Colossus was fantastic, so I'm really looking forward to the New Order. 
Uh, but back to Witcher 1, um, it took me, like, it's definitely dated. Like, the graphics were good. Like, I think they, uh, I don't know if they remastered it or what, but the graphics are good for being, like, 2006 or 7 or whatever it was. But the combat definitely took me a bit to get used to. Because you, 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 you're, I'm using mouse and keyboard. Like, I don't think there's a controller, um support for that game so i'm using a mouse and keyboard and you click to swing your weapon but you can also do combos and i'm like why is it that i'm pulling my swings like i'm not hitting the person so i had to look up a youtube video on how to do it and you, there's like your uh, cursor will change when it's time to click again so once i figured that out like it it took me forever like this i got to the first boss like there was an attack on caramorin right at the beginning of the game. And like I got to where you face the boss, I don't know how, considering I didn't know how to properly attack, but um, the fight lasted forever and I wasn't hitting the guy for whatever, like I, it took me a minute, like I had to, like I said, I had to look up a video on how to actually connect with your swings, like why I kept whiffing. And finally I killed him once I, uh, like once I, I looked up that video, I beat him in like a, a minute or two, but yeah, I'm definitely going to keep playing it. I stopped playing Witcher 2. I need to get back into that one too, but now that I've got Witcher 1, again, maybe I'll beat that one first. So, um, I don't think there's really anything else that I've been playing. Um, nope. I think that's about it. Uh, I hope everybody's had a great holiday. Hope you got everything that you wanted for Christmas or whatever holiday you celebrate. And have a happy new year. And I will see you guys in 2022. Let's uh, talk about Namira. So I am going to switch over to the main segment now and we will talk about Namira. So let's talk Namira. Now, I mentioned in the last episode that I didn't really know much about Namira, uh, probably because Namira is not really on the forefront of a lot of people's minds when they think of Daedric Princess. Like, you don't really see Namira much in the games, and you certainly don't meet Namira in person. Um, and as far as I know, um, I guess we'll find out. Let's let's take a look at this. So I'd like to thank the UESP as always for you know the info on all of this. Now I did know that Namera is the Daedric Prince of Decay and Rot and things like that, but that was really it. That was the only thing I knew about Namira. Like, I knew the name, and I knew that Namira was known as the Mistress of Decay, but that was really it. Like, I've probably done Namira's Daedric Quest in Oblivion, and more than likely Skyrim. I'm pretty sure I've done all of them in Skyrim, but again, when you think the phrase Daedric Prince, Namira is not the one that pops in your head. So, but let's let's look at this. So, Namira is a Daedric prince whose sphere is the ancient darkness. 
She is also known as the Lady of Decay, the Spirit Daedra, the Goddess of the Dark. Nemera is the ruler of sundry dark and shadowy spirits and is often associated with slugs and spiders and other things that inspire mortals with instinctive repulsion. Yeah, I, I, I do remember hearing that. Her emblem has the symbol of a bat, which, again, some people are repulsed when they see bats and things like that. I'm not. Um, I remember when I was in middle school, I think it was middle school, we had a field trip where we went to some caves that were in the southern part of the state that I lived in, Indiana. And part of the cave that we were crawling through, there were bats like inches from our heads. And I was like, hey, cool, let me touch it. Um, So I'm not repulsed by bats, but I know there are some people who actually have a phobia for bats. I can't remember what the word of that is. So, but the Khajiit believe that all creatures who feed on rotten flesh are her spies. She is the Daedric Prince of Spirits and Shadows, as well as the patron of vermin and squalor. Namira also appears to be associated with beggars and the begging gifts, beggaring gifts of disease, pity, and disregard. So, that's kind of sad. But, um, Namira also... Her have uh, she has shadowy endeavors, and they are often recognized to bear some association with eternity. Somewhat in line with this, the Khajiit believe that she is the spirit of infinite realms. She sees herself as the rightful ruler of all spirits. In some cre- cultures, uh, creation stories, she is responsible for corrupting Lorcan or making a deal with him during his endeavor to create Mundus. Mortals who become ensnared by this spirit are tortured until they forget who they were and know only Nemera. The ancient Khajiit knew her as Urdra, U-R-D-R-A, a term also used to describe nocturnal. It implies that the owner of the title is the eldest and most powerful of Daedra princes. Hermaeus Mora is similarly called Urdaedra, who is elder than Daedra, sorry, elder than Aedra. Nemira's followers and the priesthood of Arche have clashed in the past. I can understand why. Nemira consists, sorry, counts Azura, the Twilight Counters, Kenarthi, and Ebonarm among her enemies. Her summoning day is Maruka, Maruk's day, M-A-R-U-K-H apostrophe S which is the ninth of the second seed. So we talked a little bit about how the Khajiit view her, but let's dig into a little bit more to that and some of the other cultures of Tamriel. So in Khajiiti mythology, it is said that Fatime left Anur and into the, sorry, fled from Anur into the darkness to birth her youngest child, Lorcaj, and the great darkness filled his heart. The great darkness then knew its name was Namira. Sorry, Namira. Yeah, so double I. So when Nirni approached Lorcaj, whom she asked to create for her children a dwelling, 
he did so, and yet the great darkness in his heart influenced him to deceive his siblings so that they were trapped in a new place with Nerni. Some managed to escape death and became the stars, and those who remained punished Lorkash by tearing out his heart and hiding it deep within Nerni so he would be with her whom he had done the most harm. That is interesting because when you find the heart of, heart of Lorcan in Morrowind, it is deep within Red Mountain. So I know some cultures think that the moons are his body. So I don't know. Um, I guess part of this is true. I mean, you never know with these creation myths what's true and what's not because each culture has its own um, way of looking at it, its own creation myth. But I guess part of this is true because you do find the heart of Lorcan deep within Nern. So there you go. Pre-Ridata uh, texts state that Lorcaj survived and fled to Azurah. Uh, with a deep wound in his chest where he saw Nimiri dwelling within as a corruption resembling the heart. Azurah cleansed Lorcaj and flung his dark heart into the void, the, and Lorcaj perished within Azurah's embrace. From this false heart came the twisted shade of Lorcaj known as the Moon Beast, first of the Dromathra. And so Lorcaj represents the duality of Khajiiti souls and their susceptibility toward the spiritual corruption as the bent dance. Efer was corrupted by the great darkness sometime after Lorcaj's death and murdered Nirni, Hirsin, Azura, and Kanarthi slew him. Kanarthi slew him in retaliation for the for the deed and built a cairn for Nirni using his bones. I'm sorry, words are hard today. <laughs> Nimira is considered an enemy of the living and is placated rather than worshipped. She serves as the antithesis to Kanarthi's role for Khajiiti spirits, preventing them from reaching Lesware? I've never... Okay, I'm going to have to click on that. Um, by corrupting them into the Dromothra via the Bent Dance, so that they may, may be dragged down into the Bent... Dark, sorry, Dark Behind the World. These spirits occasionally slip through the cracks in Nirni and tempt Khajiiti tempt the Khajiit so their souls can be sent to the dark to serve Namira. Giant spiders and horvars also tend to spill out from the dark behind the world in places where the great darkness great darkness's presence is pervasive. An unusual increase in the presence of weevils, locusts, slugs, and other bugs harmful to crops is a sign that a source of Numira's corruption is nearby. Okay, so let me see what Lesswert is. So the sand behind the stars is also known as Lesswert. It is a realm to which the souls of Khajiit travel at the end of their days. So Lesswert is kind of the Khajiiti version of Savangard, if that makes sense. So it's described as a paradise promised to the Khajiit by the Riddlethar. The souls are carried there by Kanarthi's embrace as long as they have followed the true path of the moons. It is said that the realm is filled with dunes formed of sugar and a warmth without end. Legends state that Lesware is 
So it may have been the inspiration for the name of the Khajiiti homeland is elsewhere. It's said that Khajiiti spirits await there until the next pounce, where Kanarthi will call upon their combined might to fight for creation at the end of time. So yeah, it's basically the Khajiit version of Savagard. Yes, this one will be it unless we're before too long. Why do you say that? Well, the, the rate you're protecting this one, you're always running off and doing things without, without Khajiit. Ah, uh, well, okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, I protect you pretty damn well, I think. When you're around, yes. Alright, so that is the Khajiiti aspect of Namira. So, it also talks about the Reachmen here, so the Forsworn. So, Namira, who is known as the Spirit Queen the goddess of death and the black fly is a revered spirit in the Reachman pantheon that represents darkness, endings, and rebirth. So that is interesting because a lot of people see death as this really dark thing, but there are also a lot of people who view it as a new beginning. So you can't have the new beginning. <laughs> Was it that song? Um, closing time every new beginning comes from some other beginnings end like that's very true and even in the elder scrolls world you know you can't have a new kelpa without the current kelpa's destruction so let me take for that what you will but yeah uh namira is seen as the sovereign of the infinite world of spirit one of the two worlds existence the reach folk creation story speaks of Lorcod, Lork, sorry, with an H at the end, having an epiphany when he visits the darkness, that which is preserved as nothingness is ripe for possibility. And so, Lork approached Namira and convinced her to grant him a place in the infinite void to create a realm for wayward spirits, but it's not known, but it is not without a cost, of course. Lork sacrificed himself to create a harsh realm, one that is unforgiving and intended to teach through suffering. Hercene took the mantle of Lork's creation, becoming the sovereign of the second world, the realm of flesh. Hercene and Namira's roles complement each other while the Reach folk dwell in the world of the living. Hercene is a guide that helps them navigate Nern's hardships. Upon death, Namira acts as a psychopomp for Reachmen souls that gives the that gives and takes lives until their spirits are enlightened. Thus, Namira is seen as an avatar of primal dualisms. I don't know why that was hard to say. Such as beginnings and ends, which stem from her world of spirit. At the end of all days, Hircine will fight alongside the Reachmen, and Lork's dark heart will beat again, reawakened by the feeding of on the death of mortals, and its darkness will spread from its depths to consume everything sparing only Namira's faithful. I wonder how this compares to Sithis. I'm going to have to do an episode on Sithis here once I'm done with all of the... Daedra. Celebrations and rituals to Numera vary per clan. The entire tribe of the Boldclaw clan 
participate in the mirror's dance around a large bonfire which honors life and death. Those that dance naked represents how they are born into the world, while those who wear dark colors and paint represent death. Blood is smeared across various tribesmen during the dance. Some clans may look uh, to darker avenues to appease Numera, such as human sacrifices. Those that undergo such practices may seek to twist and abuse Numera's gifts to gain power, which, when wielded, can cause great calamities. This brings out the dark corruptions known as the Void Stuff, which can empower the clan's witch and turning them into Void Mothers known as Void Liches. We need to do an episode on Liches, which I kind of did there at the beginning, but I'm sure there's more that we can dig into. But these can consume the souls of their victims, and they are considered a type of shade. Dark, hateful, hungry spirits that have been twisted in contact, by contact with the mirror's energy. So, with every being like this, there are, of course, cultists that follow them. So, Nimera can be worshipped in a variety of different ways, depending on the particular cult's motive. Simply living in darkness and squalor is enough in some cases. Other people practice ritual murder and cannibalism to honor Nimera. Nimera does not consider the practice of mortals eating ogres to be cannibalism and would be offended if the if one of her followers did such a thing and, while touting it as cannibalism. So apparently Nimera revels in cannibalism, but if you say you're a cannibal, you better damn be a cannibal because otherwise it's kind of uh, offensive to her. So Nimera's worshippers rarely... Um, worship in public about their beliefs as they would be viewed as dangerous and perverse by society. I wonder why. They often live normal lives working standard jobs and socializing with fellow citizens as anyone else would while organizing secret covens to hide their appetites. There's a little quote here uh, from Namira herself. It says, Canarthi has forsaken you, but I haven't. There's a place in the dark for all you who cast off forgotten souls. So, all for all you cast off forgotten souls. So, yeah. So, um, yeah. It's kind of like Malakath, where these people are viewed as uh, kind of a blight on society. But with Namira worship, it's kind of justified just by all the practices that they uh, partake in. So Namira's followers keep to themselves some preferring to live peacefully in dark squalid conditions. Apparently they like to live that way by choice. Those who devote their full time to Namira can be found congregating around her shrines, shrines or forming colonies such as the Forgotten Ones deep within abandoned ruins. The Forgotten Ones are so accustomed to the dark that they would recoil from the light. They also reacted volatilely at any attempts to save them from their lifestyle. Some cults, such as Namira's Forgotten Ones, uh, require prospective members to consume human flesh in order to join. So, not only is cannibalism looked favorably you know, among these people, but 
sometimes it's a requirement just to be considered one of them. So Namira's followers contend uh, to congregate in dark or filthy places, reveling in their misery and darkness. Those who are ostracized by others may be drawn to worship Numera. Her worshippers are more inclined to have unsanitary habits, such as a tendency to not wash their hands before handling them, handling meat. Cannibals often tend to worship Numera. A life in Numera's service is said to bring bleak and horrifying side effects. The Crow Wife clan of the Reachman worships Numera. At every two moons dark, uh, the clan, fall, clan draws lots at random to select a child from the clan, be it a kin or a slave, to be sacrificed. So they also practice in child sacrifice. The sacrifice is said to be upon the ever-oozing altar, which where its heart is cut out by the clan hag, right, clan's hag raven. So, yeah, we, this might be things that we see in Skyrim, possibly. Um, so the clan's Hagraven matriarch and offer to Namira. In addition to these regular sacrifices, children who are deemed too weak are often are also sacrificed to Namira. The Crow Wife clan also practices live burnings, bathing in blood, and engaging in raucous ritual dismemberment to please Namira, and the tribe calls to Namira, writhing masses of centipedes, roaches, and other squirming creatures form a thick carpet on the floor of the clan's ritual hut. Members of the clan sometimes pluck these creatures off the ground and eat them during worship. Gross. The hag feather coven in western Falkreath, a subset of the Glenmoral Weird, often also reveres Namira. The witches of the Ghostsong clan witches have historically spoken directly and often with Namira. Namira personally chose the clan's foremothers to keep dark, powerful secrets such as the prophecy of the Dark Heart. She led the first Ghostsong matron to the bottomless pit deep within the Lost Valley Rideau, where it called the Dark Descent. I think I've been there. Redoubt, not redoubt. The Reach folk honored Namira with a blood sacrifice, believing death pleased her. Death is the greatest, most permanent gift a mortal can give. The their beliefs held that Namira granted them power in exchange for the souls sent to her realm. Namira is the spirit of death and decay. As such, using her energies and gifts to avoid dying a natural death is an affront to the Daedric Prince. You know, reading through all this and going through all this, one question keeps coming to mind. Why Namira? Of all the Daedric princes to choose to worship, which in itself is a dangerous thing to do. Any Daedric worship is a risky thing to partake in. But why Namira? Of everything you can choose, whether it's Azura or sanguine, or hearsing. Why rot, decay, and death? That it's, I don't know. It, it kind of blows my mind that that would be somebody's choice. But I mean, here, here we are. So, Namira appeals to those who are shunned by society. Those who feel out of place or ugly 
wretched, have been ostracized for one reason or another, often flocked into Mira. Some of her worshippers revel, be, rev, sorry, revile beautiful people. Grief, hopelessness, and loss of faith are traits in which Namira can easily take advantage of. Someone who feels abandoned by the gods may be approached by Namira in their darkest hour. She seduces lonely individuals with the promise of power or sense of belonging, drawing them into her grasp when they are most vulnerable. So, okay, she preys upon people who feel just that they have no other choice, I guess, and are ostracized by anybody that they deem beautiful or, you know, good i don't know they just feel like they have no other options i guess which is really kind of sad so and elsewhere namira is revered by jealous angered and maligned uh, those who are prideful power hungry or hateful may find themselves easily swayed into the great darkness those who find joy in violence are prone to are and are susceptible to namira's influence this fact is very apparent to the Dromathra, who tend to be cynical, hateful, and miserable creatures. So, here's another quote here from the Dromathra servants of Nemira. Poach the blind, the sickly, and the blame. Uh, sorry, the lame, not the blame. They belong to us. Let the beat fill their, fill their ears, and our venom fill their hearts, and we are outcasts no longer. So, that explains it right there so the blind the sickly the lame um which that i don't know why they would be ostracized but maybe in those kind of times they are so let's talk about things that namira has actually done in recorded history so in the first era the two chimerian mages that worshiped namira called created a spell plague which was used as a weapon against the dwemer it can be likened to a disease that weakens and saps one's life force. The spell plague acts quickly and its effects are fatal. Those who are afflicted by the curse do not simply die, their souls return as dire apparitions. When it became apparent that the spell plague was too powerful to be controlled, the Chimeri Lords sealed both the plague and its creators into a warded vault, which uh, Heimlin Keep would be built around. House Telvani was responsible for watching over the reliquary, which the weapon was bound in. The spell plague and its creators were sealed for ages, falling into obscurity. It's unknown if the story of the Beggar Prince is fact or fiction, but it takes place sometime in the first era. I've read the Beggar Prince, actually. Um, it's in most of the Elder Scrolls games, so definitely read it when you find it. So it speaks of a person by the name of Weedle, who was the distant 13th child of the King of Valenwood, and thus was not entitled to any riches. Weedle sought to carve his own fortune and glory and set out to distant lands. After a few days, they encountered a group of three men about to slay a diseased beggar, and Weedle confronted the men and saved her. The beggar revealed herself to be Namira, and Weedle, knowing her name, saw an opportunity. For 33 days and nights, the adventurer pleaded with the prince for an apprenticeship until they could physically no longer do so, and unbeknownst to Weedle, uh, Namira had been testing them, and they passed. 
The Dater Prince bestowed upon Weedle the gift of pity. To benefit from it, Weedle was required to always have at least one physical uh, visible disease that they could be that could be changed at will. So he always had something going on with him. And Weedle became known as the Prince of Beggars, irresistible for charity and often disregarded by people who would talk about important secrets while hearing distance, while within hearing distance. So, yeah, it's one of those where you kind of feel like a fly on the wall. Nobody really regards you with any, you know, with any measure of um, interest. So they'll just say whatever they want. And uh, so he would uh, have a lot of good information about things. So that is the first era. Let's talk about the second era. So the curse of the spell plague resurfaced in second era 582. Yep, it definitely did. The Daggerfall Covenant, thinking Heimlin Keep with you know a military base, opened the reliquary and set the spell plague free. Its mystical corruption emanated from the Telvanni Reliquary, killing a soldier, mage, sorry, killing soldier, mage, and civilian alike, and flooding the keep's grounds with angry spirits. The curse was broken before it could spread past the Heimlin Keep. That same year, Namira attempted to extend her influence over the Argonian ville of Zal-Ethix, I think is how you pronounce that, a community of scavengers. Zal-Ethix lies downstream from other communities. Refuge, garbage, and scraps often float downstream. The village's general philosophy was to repurpose anything that they could find use for, including armor found on corpses that float downstream. In this fetid yet peaceful corner of the swamp, Namira's servants placed a relic called the Hand of Namira at the base of the Salaitik's history. The relic poisoned the swamp, aggravating the horrors and stranglers, which usually left the Argonians well alone. Stranglers have never left me alone. They always want to pull me in from a distance, and they're just really irritating. I really hate stranglers. Excuse me while I take a sip of my coffee here. Namira's goal was to attack the history, the heart, soul, and memories of the local Algodia community. Namira is determined to show the locals that its spirits of the history are pale shadows compared to her, believing that she is the rightful ruler of their spirits. As the hand weakened the history, Namira's servants performed a ritual to corrupt the Zolithix and claim it for Namira. The vestige aided the village's tree miner by using the hands by using the hand to stop the ritual and end Namira's plot. Namira has a history with the Temple of the Seven Riddles in Reaper's March. The temple was purposely built too small, as Clay and Mothers say, because ye aren't meant to stand close to the Jacage before the dead climb. The Dromothra have emerged from the, the Temple of the Seven Riddles in part because of this factor. But there is also a story told among the doubting monks, which recounts the first instance of the Dromothra invading the temple. Long ago, a moon bishop referred to as the Stone Tapper resided within the Temple of the Seven Mills. He carried a magic stick that told him secrets where, when he tapped on the floor. Day and night, the bishop 
tap the floor, learning of all of Nerny's secrets. Eventually, the magic stick ran out of Nerny's secrets, so it started telling him darker secrets, <laughs> Mary's secrets. So, uh, you think you're getting Earth's secrets, and then you get that. <laughs> Um, so the tapper listened, growing old and crazy. I can imagine learning all of the mirror secrets. That would drive anyone nuts. The temple's muck went mad as well because the tapping never stopped. It was loud and steady, like a heartbeat. Eventually, the monk plotted to kill the stone tapper. So not only did the, did the uh, tapper go nuts, everyone else around him went nuts because he wouldn't stop tapping. <laughs> <laughs> so they lured him into the high lunarium, lunarium, sorry, and stabbed him. All the blood and secrets drained out of the tapper's body and broke the temple asunder, revealing the Maw Alorkage. So the next part of the story varies depending on who's telling the tale. But basically, the tapper awakens when his blood is drained and he kills everyone with lightning or... You know, great winged beast bursts out of Lorcaj's throat and eviscerates everybody. So either way, the Dromothra were unleashed upon the temple. However, the Stone Tappers' murders, murderers were killed, and the hole between Nerni and the dark behind the world were eventually closed. So that's a hell of a story. Uh, <laughs> I am gonna have to see if I can find that. So, also in the same year, Second Era 582, Namira's gaze was fixed upon the temple, and the temple's abbot, uh, Kulandro, heard the beating of Lorakaj's heart, and he was driven to defile the protective seals, allowing Namira's brood to assault the temple, and the monks would be corrupted by the, be the bent dance. So, and also Namira struck at the Black Heights, the Wall of Life, which is an ancient mural that is part of the village's death rite, it was tainted by Namira years prior to the Dagi painter. Um, Doc Roddy became vulnerable to Namira's advances, and when the death of his wife shook his faith in Kanarthi, Namira convinced him to abandon the Doc Roddy, his wife, and uh, his terminally ill son. Doc Roddy was left alone to care for. Namira commanded him to mix special paint using ritual components of her choosing, and it would leave his mark on the wall of he would leave his mark on the wall of life. Upon death, Dakrati transformed into a Dromathra. Many years later, his influence began to seep into the wall of life, allowing the great darkness to rise from the paint. So that is somebody that you had to go kill. So Namira apparently was very active in the second era. Let's talk about the third era. So in third era 405, an agent of the blades, so this is the defense of Daggerfall. Um, Namira's ta Namira tasks you with slaying a vampire ancient that had fallen out of favor with, with the prince. In second era 433, the champion of Cyrodiil was tasked by Namira to kill a group of arcade priests for attempting to convert a group of her followers that resided in an ancient alien ruin of Anga. Both of these instances, the prince awarded her champion with the Ring of Namira. So, I do remember the Ring of Namira. Um, 
guess I remember killing a group of arcade priests in a alien ruin. Um, I don't remember... I, I played Daggerfall, but I haven't played a ton of it. I have escaped the dungeon once and played for a while. I don't remember... I don't think I encountered any of the Daedric Princes. But I do remember doing some, like, uh, Fighter's Guild quests. So in Fourth Era 201, which is, of course, Skyrim, drag the last Dragonborn was tasked by Namira's cult to bring a priest of Arke to Namira's shrine in Reachcliff, Reachcliff Cave and then kill and eat them. So the dragon, last dragonborn would be rewarded with the Ring of Namira for completing this task. So basically she wants you to become a cannibal. Of course. Alright, so let's deal with, uh, or let's talk about the artifacts. So there's the Dark Heart, which if you've played Greymoor, you should know about the Dark Heart of Skyrim. So the Dark Heart was also known as the Frightful Heart. It's an artifact associated with Nemira through some of the cultural interpretations of Lorcan, specifically Lork and Lorkaj. Physically appearing as a sphere of darkness surrounded by a radiant aquamarine corona. Um, corona, okay. Um, it is a piece of primal void trapped on Nern that warps existence around it. According to the ancient Khajiit, Namira became a shadowy imitation of Lorcan's heart. While Reach belief holds that the darkness left its left his heart as a sacrifice for the creation of the realm of flesh, regardless, Lorcan's real heart was flung towards what is now Vardenfell and created the Red Mountain. While the Dark Heart found its way into the depths of Black Reach and remains under influence of the mirror. Darkheart offers a pathway into the void, and its power is increased by consuming souls, banishing them to the place between worlds. Those tied to the heart describe her hearing intrusive whispers, which can be felt, it, which can feel its pulsing and throbbing, which grows darker as the heart becomes more powerful. Additionally, the power of the dark heart can be drawn from at the risk by. Um, it can be drawn from at the risk of being consumed by it. Those tapping into the Dark Heart's power are overwhelmed and undergo horror, horrifying physical side effects. In the case of the Night Hollow Clan, their vampiric appearance was overwritten with Namira's bile, which grayed out their skin and produced a black ichor within their eyes. Lady Balin, the clan's matriarch, developed void pathesis, altering her vampire lord form into an ink-like texture, which has the potential to hollow the mortal shell out and leave nothing but a husk. So we've mentioned the Ring of Mera. There's a little bit here about it, but not nearly as much as the Dark Heart. So the Ring of Namira is a Daedric artifact bestowed by Namira upon those who do her bidding. The ring has been known at times to reflect damage back at the attacker, while other times being able to increase a person's stamina and restore their health if the wearer cannibalizes a corpse. So, I do remember getting the Ring of Namira. I don't remember really using it. Um, although the reflection spell would be helpful. 
So here's one I do remember also. There is the Staff of the Everscamp. You get this in Oblivion. There is a quest in Leowen uh, that someone is plagued by a bunch of scamps. And she gives you the staff. So the Staff of the Everscamp is a Daedric staff adorned with metal scamp, sorry, metallic scamps at its tip. It is inscribed with the Daedric letting, lettering that spell out the word nonsense. <laughs> okay, so it is a recurring artifact that is primarily associated with Shagorath, though there is evidence to suggest that Nimera has a connection to it as well. The staff was created in the Dark Fathoms Cave Shrine, which is located in Cyrodiil's Blackwoods. So, yeah, Blackwoods is basically lay, you know, just out around the Leowin area. So it's Cyrodiil's border with Black Marsh. So its purpose is to be a hindrance to those who are unfortunate enough to wield it. It summons Everscamps, which, like the name suggests, are scamps whose presence are permanent, as they will immediately rematerialize post-mortem. Additionally, the, the staff will slow down the speed of the wielder. Finally, the staff will compel its user to not dispose of it. It can only be rid of it by taking it to the shrine in Dark Fathom Cave. So yeah, basically, she gives you this staff so she can be rid of the damn scamps. And you gotta take it back to where she got it and get rid of it. So yeah, basically, the staff is there to drive the person nuts. So I can see how it's associated with Shea Gorath. And finally, we've got the Hand of Nemira. So the Hand of Nemira is the, actually the prince's rotting hand that corrupts everything in its general vicinity. Of course, being the Daedric Prince of Rot and Decay. The Dramora who serve Nemira are terrified of the relic, as its energies can be turned against them to destroy their physical forms. Under the hand's influence, it creates an act. The creatures act irrationally and may go out of their way to attack villagers. I don't remember what game this was in. It doesn't have a link to show what game it's actually in. So, <clears throat> yeah, I, I'm not sure. There's no picture of it. I guess it's just something that is mentioned in a book. I don't know. So, let's talk about... Nemira's realm of oblivion. It's called the Scuttling Void, and it's ruled over by Nemira, obviously. It's also called the Dark Behind the World, which is something we mentioned before. So it's sometimes just sorted to the dark by the Kashyyyk. When a particularly large rift opens between the Dark Behind the World and Nirn, the breach is referred to as the Maw of Lorkaj. So there's a lot of Kajidi uh, reference here. So, because it, it says uh, Nirni and Lorkaj, so it, very little is known of this shadowy realm, probably because nobody wants to fucking go there. I wouldn't want to go there. Um, it's probably the last realm of Oblivion I would ever want to go to, even more so than the Deadlands. So, Dramora have been seen serving Nemira among Nemira's servants, at the Dromothra are the most unique. The Dromothra, sometimes capitalized, uh, because the first part, it, it's not capitalized. First time. 
Um, they're very dangerous and seductive reflection of the Khajiit. So the Khajiiti individuals who become corrupted in life, resulting in their souls being claimed by Namira. Um, upon death, these souls are ultimately lost to the Daedric Prince. The Dromothra have further are completely black, crossed by lines of glowing blue lightning. Their eyes glow pale blue, and they pour into Nern from behind the world, where they dance, pounding on the dark heart of Lorcaj. They are comparable to shades, um, but look like Khajiit. So... The Dromothra speak of anguish and despair and seek to cause pain and drag others into the great darkness so they sh can share their suffering. The darkness within the Dromothra drives them to harm others to unleash their hatred and pain upon truth cats and force them to hear Namira's will. Some of the Dromothra are its most dangerous servants are liars and they sow seeds of doubt and attempt to turn mortals against each other. Even more dangerous are those who do not know their pet. <laughs> Being crazy and not knowing you're crazy, I guess. They are souls whom Namira tricks into joining her in the darkness by playing, playing, praying. It says playing, but I'm guessing they mean praying. And I don't know why that was so hard to say. Um, by preying upon their fears and grief of doubts. If Namira promises to sanctify, sorry, promises sanctuary to one who is hurt, and that individual is convinced, uh, it ends in their suffering, and nothing would stop them from trying to bring that person into Namira's grasp. So, he yeah, has got references here from Daggerfall, Oblivion, Skyrim, ESO. So, that is really it as far as Namira. Um, more than I expected. But, um, yeah, I guess a lot of stuff from ESO here. Like I said, I do remember having the Ring of Namira, but I don't remember what... I, I don't remember the actual quest. I just remember having the ring. So, anyway, yeah, I would like to thank The Hive, as always, for sponsoring this podcast. And uh, if you'd like to get a hold of me, you can find me on twitter and instagram at iangold08 that's my personal page and you can find the show's page at tamrelicp one way you can help the show is by leaving a rating or a review on apple podcasts and also now this happened pretty recently but you can also rate and review the show on spotify so if you don't have an apple id or anything like that don't use itunes you can now leave me a rating and review on Spotify and that really helps get the word out on the show. So, um, sorry, today's show, I might have uh, had a little bit of difficulty speaking more than usual. Um, I guess I'm not quite awake yet. It's still pretty early. I've been guzzling my coffee here as I've been doing the show, so maybe I've kind of woken up as I've been doing it. Um, <laughs> I promise I'll do better next time, I guess. Uh, which, speaking of the next episode, we are going to be talking about Nocturnal. So there's definitely a lot of good stuff about Nocturnal. Um, she did a lot in the second era. I know a lot of people probably know Nocturnal more from Skyrim. But she was definitely around in ESO. And I remember doing Nocturnal's quest in Oblivion. So 
Yeah, but um, that's next episode. I hope everybody's had a great holiday. Um, yeah, this episode is coming out the you know just after Christmas. So yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, I'm gonna get out of here. I'm just rambling at this point. So next up, nocturnal. Um, help me out by leaving a rating and review on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify or both. You know, that helps regardless. So, um, yeah, you can also find me on my other shows. I've got Nintendo, which we're finishing up the Zelda. Um, plus, we did an episode last week on the a couple of spinoff games. There was Hyrule Warriors, and then there was... Uh, Cadence of Hyrule, which is the Crypt of the Necrodancer um, Zelda game, and uh, Triforce Heroes. And then we've got Tapes from the Waste, which we should have an episode out any time now. If, you know, so it should be out any day. So anyway, yeah, I'm going to get out of here. Have a good one. Uh, happy New Year. Uh, happy Holidays. And as always, stay safe, adventurers.